Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. My name's Josh. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at BC. If you haven't uh, joined us before, just want to reiterate what Pastor Brian said. We're so excited that you're here. We're honored by your presence. We, uh, we, we don't take that for granted and we don't take that lightly. There's all sorts of things you could be doing this morning, uh, but you've chosen to be here and that's, so that's really cool. Um, we want to talk today for a few minutes about the D word. And the D word that we're going to talk about is discipline, not ding. Anyway, uh, that was a joke. Tried to, but anyway, let's go on. Let's talk about discipline. Now, we need a definition for discipline, kind of a working definition. And here's my uh, not so Merriam Webster dictionary definition for the word discipline. Discipline is really about those things that you're supposed to do that you don't really want to do. You know what I mean? Like you're supposed to do it. For example, you know, you think about, uh, I'm going to start getting up earlier. You know, maybe I want to get up earlier and work out. I don't really want to get up earlier. (laughs) I want to sleep. I don't really want to work out, but I'm supposed to. It's a supposed to thing. You know, you think about, uh, I'm going to go to bed earlier. I'm going to go to bed earlier. When going to get up earlier and go to bed early. Try to get more sleep. You know, it's a, it's a good thing. It's a supposed to. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm supposed to eat healthy, but what I really want to eat is a double chocolate Oreo McFlurry from McDonald's. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I want, but that's not discipline. Discipline is saying, no, you know, I'm going to eat better. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is you. Uh, I'm going to save more money. I'm going to save more and spend less. No, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> What I want to do is just buy everything that I see, but discipline is I'm going to save more, I'm going to spend less, I'm going to budget better, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. Things that, that you're supposed to do that we all kind of know, like, ah, you're supposed to do that, but maybe we don't really want to do. Now, here's what, here's what I don't want to happen today, because we're going to talk a lot about discipline. I don't want you to walk away from this place thinking, I'm such a loser, <laughs> My life is so undisciplined, and and everybody else has it figured out but me, and I just have no self-control. I don't want you to feel like that when you leave today. You know, have you you seen those people that kind of make you feel like that? Like, let's say you go into work on Monday morning, and you're kind of dragging, but the person that's like working beside of you, maybe in the cubicle down the hall, they come in, they're all chipper, they're like, hey, it's Monday morning, how are you doing? And you're like... Did you have like a quart of coffee this morning? No, I don't drink coffee at all. I'm just happy like this all the time. And what you want to say is shut up. Leave. Don't come into work on Monday. You see those people, like you get up, maybe maybe you're a a Navy guy or a Navy girl and you've got to be at work at 5 a.m. or something, but when you're leaving, you see the person who's not Navy and they're running at 4.30 and you're like, what is your problem? And they're like, hi, neighbor. And you're like, I hate you. I don't want you to feel that way today. Today's not about making you feel guilty. Today's not about adding something else to your already jam-packed to-do list. But there are a couple of things that I'm going to challenge you on doing that if we do these things, if we're disciplined about them, they will actually help our relationship with God. Because there's two things about discipline that we have to kind of understand and know. And number one is this. Things that often start as disciplines become very pleasant habits. 
a lot of times the thing that you kind of start off, and it's a discipline, it's a, well, I'm supposed to, but I don't really want to. If we do those things, a lot of times what we discover is that they're actually kind of pleasant. That maybe, maybe it goes beyond habits, uh, maybe, maybe it becomes an addiction for you, or like an obsession, like, are there any runners in here, like, I'm a runner. Are you a runner? You know, any cyclist? We got a runner here. Any cyclist? You want to know why there are no cyclists? Because you ever seen what you got to wear to be a cyclist? Do you want to know why cyclists only go cycling in groups? Because you wouldn't be caught dead wearing that thing by yourself out in public. Like, it's so weird. It's like creepy. We only go out in groups. Um, <laughs> but but if you're a runner or a cyclist, you know, you start off and it's like, ah, I don't really want to get up, but you start and then you kind of get that runner's high thing going on. You're like, I actually enjoy this. Any, any like nutrition, food, crazy health people in the room? Nobody? Like, like I'm... Yeah, up in the up in the back, we've got some people, you know, no sugar, no wheat, no milk, no taste, you know, none of that. I'm just going to survive on rice cakes and and like water, and that's it, you know. But God bless you if that's you. That's that's awesome. Um, same thing with music, you know. Same thing with music. Maybe you grew up playing the piano. And your, your mom or dad, they, they were like, you need to practice. you got to get in there and play for 45 minutes a day. And you're like, I don't really want to. But now you, you got through that stage, and you're like, I actually find it pleasant to play. And if that's you, listen, we have openings for you in the uh, Vertical Church Worship Band. Uh, if I'm describing you right now, that's the Lord speaking to you, and you need to let us know. Um, anyway, it's, it's those things that, you know, they don't begin that way, but eventually, if you gut it out for a while, you actually discover that you start enjoying them. Number two, the second thing about discipline that we kind of got to start with is that disciplines always, always result in progress. In any area of your life, when you're disciplined, there will eventually be progress. Think about it in your finances. You may have a bad attitude about balancing your budget, you know. You may not like it. You may hate every moment of it. But if you're disciplined about it, eventually you'll make progress. Another thing about discipline is, is it results in freedom. If you're disciplined with your budget, eventually you experience financial freedom. You have the ability to maybe do some things that you weren't able to do before because you practiced discipline. If you think about it in your health, exercise, you do it now, progress happens, and you experience freedom. Discipline is all about delayed gratification. I'm going to do what I may not want to do now so that I can do what I want to do later. I'm going to exercise discipline now. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do now, even though I may not really want to do it, so that when tomorrow comes, I'll be in position to do what I want to do. Well, the reason we're talking about discipline is because we're in a series called Cultivate. Uh, we're talking about five things, kind of five faith fertilizers that, that if we put these in our soil, it will cause our relationship with God to grow stronger, to grow deeper. It will cause us to trust Him more. The past two weeks, we've talked about this. First week, I talked about uh, exposing yourself to, to practical teaching and putting what Jesus said into practice, doing what He told us, to do. Last week, Pastor Brian talked about providential relationships, how sometimes God brings 
uh, somebody into your life to help you grow your faith, and you, you walk away and realize, man, because of that person, I'm closer to Jesus than I was before I met him. Now, this list isn't found in the Bible somewhere. It's not like you can look up Second Hesitations, chapter 17, and it's like, oh, there's the list. There's the five faith fertilizers. It's just something that if you listen to people's stories, if you hear them talk about Jesus, it's kind of like, you know, these, these things come up time and time again. I was, you know, I was, um, I, I, I was living my life, and then I started reading the Bible regularly. And it's like something happened in my life. Or then I started praying, or then I started giving regularly. And then, and then it was like I, I, I walked through a door in my relationship with God, and it was never the same. Now, as you listen to me today, you're going to be tempted to argue with me. I understand that. I'm letting you know that I know what you're thinking before I say anything. You're going to want to argue with me in your head, and that's perfectly fine. Why? Because disciplines are supposed to, may not want to. And so as I talk about a couple of disciplines today that Jesus talks about, uh, you're going you're gonna to be like, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's right. Listen, here's all I ask you to do. Two things for me. Number one, ask yourself, and just ask yourself, okay, am I willing to invest the time to go home and read this for myself? I, that's what I, there, nothing would make me happier than if you left today and you're like, maybe I don't know exactly if that's right or I don't know if that's what I believe, so I'm going to go home and I'm going to read it for myself. That would be awesome. Do that. Number two, ask yourself the question, why? Why do I feel this way? Why, why is there tension here? What is it that I'm resisting? Why do I not want to, uh, want to exercise that discipline? So two things. Go home, read it for yourself. Number two, why? Why do I feel this way? Why is this tension here? What's underneath the surface? Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, it's probably about... Uh, four-sevenths of the way through the Bible. That's a rough guess, man. I don't even know if you have a hand Bible. If you don't have a hand Bible, if you have it on your phone, then just search Matthew and you pop up right there. Uh, if you don't have any kind of Bible, just look on the screen behind me or on the program. Verse 1, be careful not to, and there's this really interesting phrase, practice your righteousness. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, really important part of what Jesus is saying in this passage, to be seen by them. Whatever that looks like, we're going to talk about a couple of things that he mentions. Practicing your righteousness. Don't do it so that others can see you. Don't do that. Why not? Well, because if you do, Jesus says, you will have no, and the word he uses is reward. You'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus sets this whole discussion that he's about to go into. Can I give you a little context? He's up on a mountaintop preaching. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Super popular. You should read the whole thing. It's awesome. It's jam-packed full of awesomeness. Read the whole thing. It's great. Jesus says, okay, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of things that I want you to do privately. Now, there's a, there's a public component to these things. You know, you may, you may do them publicly, but I don't want you to do them to be seen. I don't want you to do them to get attention. I want there to be a private element to what you're doing. And if you do these things, Jesus is going to tell us, if you do these things privately so that the Father sees you, he will reward you. Now, right now, some of you are real uncomfortable with that idea. You're like, I don't do what I do for Jesus for a reward. I do it because he loves me. And you know what? That's awesome. I have your attitude. We share that. But here's what Jesus says. 
there's a reward. God may just reward you anyway. Like, that's fine. Don't do it for a reward. I don't do it for a reward. I don't think you should do it for a reward. But God may reward you because God is like that. And these are Jesus' words. These aren't mine. Jesus just said, if, eventually he's going to say, if you do this, this way God will reward you. Now, he doesn't say how he's going to reward you. He doesn't say, like, if you do these things, then God will, you know, uh, give you uh, 50 acres and a mansion with golden cars to drive around and, like, jet packs on the back of He didn't say that. That's crazy. He doesn't even name what the reward looks like. He just says, God will reward you. Now, he goes on to list specifically three things that, that, that are ways of practicing your righteousness. We're going to talk about the first two because the third one is way too convicting for us to talk about in church because if, we don't, if we're like a little shaky on the first two, by the time we get to the third, then we're like, oh gosh, I'm just in bad shape. So, all right, here we go. Verse Number two, Jesus says, so when you give to the needy, so when you give to the needy. Now, Paul's right there. Jesus is specifically talking right here about uh, what we call almsgiving. Um, or, or basically, maybe you've seen it in a movie or maybe you've seen it in pictures. The idea is, is as people were going into the temple to worship God, as they were going into the temple for, for sacrifice or going into the temple for prayer or whatever, on, on, the, on the sides of the path, the sides of the street, the poor, the, 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 the beggars, the lame, the destitute, they would line up on the sides, and as you're going, you would think to yourself, okay, I'm going to walk past these people, so I'm going to take a little bit of extra with me. I'm going to carry a little extra so that when I see them, it, it, it wasn't like a systematic, real formal thing. It was basically, I see a need, I brought extra with me, here you go. Here's some money. Now, this is not the Old Testament version of what is called the tithe. If you grew up in church, maybe you're familiar with that word. Maybe you've used that word. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. In the Old Testament, devout Jewish people would, would contribute, uh, some say 10, anywhere from 10 to 18, even some people would say 20% or more to the temple for the purposes of, of what God was doing in the temple for the priests and, and, and as a worship to God. Now, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. It had it, it basically, that kind of system had kind of become a tax, really, is what, what we would associate it with. It wasn't like they had an IRS, like they weren't coming after you if you, if you like didn't pay up, but, but it, that's kind of the mentality. It wasn't really um, uh, to, to, you know, like I said, it was a tax how it felt. But it was Old Testament law, and so devout Jewish people, they're like, I'm going to do this. So Jesus says, listen, as you're going, as you're practicing this just spontaneous giving, when you give to the needy, Jesus says, look what he says, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites in the synagogues and on the streets do, to be honored by others. He says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Jesus says, look, when you give like this, when you give uh, in this way, don't go around with a bunch of fanfare like, oh, here comes Bill. Look, Bill brought his briefcase with him, and he's just passing out money. Hey, how you doing today? Here. Jesus says, don't do that. <laughs> don't make it about you. Don't make it a big spectacle. Because if you do, people will look at you and go, wow, look how generous they are. And Jesus says, if that happens, guess what? There's your reward. There you go. You did it so that they would see you. They saw you. They said, wow, look at him. There you go. There's your reward. 
Jesus goes on, verse 3, he says, but when you give to the needy, again, he says when, not if, hello, all right, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Some of you have used that phrase your whole life and you had no idea it was in the Bible. Bam, right there it is. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, and check this out, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us what the reward looks like. Jesus doesn't say, if you give to the needy, God will give you a Bugatti. You know, we're not to expect that. But he does say there is a reward. And let me ask you a question. If you're like, well, what's the reward? Does it matter? Does it matter? Because a reward, unless I'm mistaken, is good. Like, it's always good. And a reward from God is really good. Now, from the context of the way Jesus is kind of setting this up, what we can kind of decipher, this isn't like, this isn't written in the Scripture, but this is kind of how we can apply it. Jesus is basically saying, if you give to be seen by them, and they see you and they say, wow, there's your reward. They've honored you. But if you give to be seen by God, God will see you, and he'll reward you. And the context makes us believe that God will honor you. And that's your reward. Now, the reward may be bigger than that. The reward may include other things. But Jesus, basically, we can kind of imply, and that's, that's an interpretation. Don't like quote scripture and say, Pastor Josh said this. I'm just, I'm just telling you how I read it. When I read it, I see when, you, when, when your father sees you give, your father will honor you. What does that look like? I, I, don't, I don't know what it looks like, and I don't really care, because that's pretty cool. He says, he says there's, there's going to be a reward as you privately give and as you privately fund the things that are close to the heart of God. Now, two things. I want, I want to pause and I want to say this. I said this in week one. I want to say it again. Jesus is not talking about salvation. He's not talking about your eternal destination. Jesus is not saying that if you give, you will earn some extra God love. He's not saying that at all. This isn't about earning God's love. This isn't about earning his affection or acceptance. This is, God, I've heard what you said to do, and I'm doing it. And God says, wow, it's awesome. It's just like, listen, those of you who have kids, you understand this already. You understand this already. If you're a father and you have any ounce of like goodness in your life, when your kid or your mom, when your kid says, or when you tell your kid, hey, can you do this for me? And your kid says, okay, which is real rare because usually they want to argue with you. But when they do it, now let me ask you, when, when they actually follow through and they're like, hey, will you clean your room? And they go clean their room and like, hey, I cleaned my room. Does that make you love them more? No. Is it like, oh, you cleaned your room, so now you are more welcomed in my family? No. No, not at all. Oh, you cleaned your room. Well, now I actually love you, but if you didn't clean your room, then I didn't love you anymore. No, 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 no. See, our Father simply says, when you clean your room, I notice it. I'm proud of you. And I'm so honored by the reality that you listened to what I said and you did it. I'm honored by that. And because I'm honored by that, I want to honor you. It's not about earning God. It's not about any of that. Jesus isn't talking about that. And number two thing Jesus isn't talking about, and I know this is going to surprise some of you, Jesus isn't actually talking about meeting the needs of the poor in this passage. It's not about meeting their needs. It's about 
There are all kinds of passages in the New Testament, and that's a good thing. We should do that. That's a supposed to do that. Uh, as children and followers of Jesus, we are supposed to meet the needs of the poor. But that's not what this passage is about. This passage is about you, your Father, seeing what you do and rewarding you. And sometimes the reward simply looks like you trust Him more and your faith grows. Sometimes that's the reward. I trust God more than I did before. So let me ask you this question. What if you really believed this was true? What if you really believed that God the Father saw when you give and, 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 and where you give and how you gave and, and how it affected your entire financial uh, world and he went, oh man, I'm honored by that. You know what? I'm going to honor him. I'm going to reward her. I'm going to reward him. What if you believed that? Now, it's not a stretch because those are actually Jesus' words. What if you believed that what Jesus said was actually true? I would argue that the reason many of us struggle, and again, you're arguing with me in your head and it's totally cool, read it on your own. The reason many of us struggle with generosity is because we don't believe what Jesus said. We don't. Because if we really believed and we would understand that the issue isn't about money, it's about trust. Because money is always a faith issue. It's always a trust issue. It's always a, will God do what God said he would do if I do what I tell him? Can I trust him to follow through? What if you and I, what if we believed that when we took our hard-earned money and we funded what God was doing through the church, through missions, through feeding the poor, whatever it is that God grabs your heart and grabs your attention with, what if we did that? Would you believe that He sees that? And He rewards that by honoring you, by growing your faith. If we did, there would be no sense of, ah, oh, here comes that bucket again. They talk about money every week. Gosh, I hope they don't talk about money today. There would, no, no, it would be, oh, wow, I got another opportunity. I got another opportunity for my father to understand that I know that I trust him and that he sees me trust him. I've got another opportunity right here and right now. And the reason that you and I don't feel that way is because we struggle believing that what Jesus said is true. Again, I just want to emphasize, this isn't about where you go when you die. This is about how do you live right here and right now. Because here, here's why this is important, okay? Regardless of what you believe, you may not be a Christian in this room. And if you are, we're, if you're not, we're super excited that you're here. We hope you'll come back next week. We love you. You're why we have church, okay? You are why we exist, and, and we just want to do everything we can to introduce you to this person named Jesus. But Regardless of what you believe, Christian, Jewish, you might, be, you might be Muslim, you might be New Age, you might have any kind of background in this room that, that none of us even understand or know, okay? Here's what I know about you. You are trusting God, whatever you call Him, whatever, however you relate to, to this supreme being, we believe Jesus, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's what we believe here, but maybe that's not what you believe, but I just want to get us all on the same page. You're trusting this supreme being, 100% for the moment after you breathe your last breath. What I mean by this is, is what I mean. 
You're trusting that when you die, on the other side, whatever that is, pearly gates, clouds, paradise, whatever you believe in, okay? I'm not trying to be light or, or funny. I'm just saying, I don't know what everybody in the room believes. But, but when you die, what you're saying is, 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 I'm just trusting that there's something or someone on the other side that when I get there, they say, hey, I'm glad to see you. <laughs> I'm happy that you're here. Welcome. Come on in. You know, that's what we're all trusting in. Okay, whatever you believe. And you have no choice, okay? It's like, well, I actually, I have three choices. No, you die, you have no choice. You are trusting that there is someone over there who wants you to be there and who is welcoming you there. Here's what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches, actually, that from your last breath back to the present, the number one thing that will challenge your trust in the Father is your wealth, your ability to gain wealth, your, 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 your confidence and your ability to, to uh, manipulate and control your environment with your finances. So, if that's the case, here's what that, here's what that looks like. If the God who controls your eternity, okay, if he is a personal God engaged with us in a personal relationship like we believe that he is, and if he, has, if, if he has invited us to call him Father, this, this in, intimate, deeply personal relationship, which, G, which Jesus has just said that, that he is our Father, if those things are true, wouldn't it make sense that he's going to mess with the very thing that is his biggest challenge when it comes to trusting him with your whole heart? Wouldn't it make sense that he's going to mess with the thing you trust now in order for you to get in order to get you to trust him instead? Like that's that that's why Jesus said you can't serve God in money because because he wants us to trust him completely and fully. But throughout history, listen the number one cause of marital conflict and divorce right now are arguments about finances. The number one stress in the world, money problems. We have so much anxiety, so much turmoil, so much conflict about our wealth. Why? Because that's what we trust. That's where our security is. And Jesus says, I want your security to be in me, so I'm going to mess with the thing that's in the driver's seat right now. Because i got to get that out of the driver's seat and get into the driver's seat of your life, so I'm going to mess with it. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to ask that you trust me there. Because if you can't trust me there, then it's obvious that I am not the foundation and security of your life. And that's what he wants. That's where he wants to live in our lives. That's why money is a faith issue, not a money issue. God doesn't need your money. God wants your trust. And he wants your heart. So he's going to mess up the very thing that draws your heart away from him and where you put your trust and security and confidence, where I put my trust, security, and confidence. Now, I understand something. You may not like me very much right now. <laughs> 
I might be messing with your, with your financial world, and that's causing you a lot of angst and a lot of tension and, and you feeling uncomfortable. Here, here's what you need to do. You owe it to yourself to ask, why? Why do I feel this way? Why is it when I think about trusting God with my financial life, I feel tension and uncomfortableness? Why? You owe it to yourself to figure that out. Why? I believe it's because it's a faith issue. It's a trust issue. It's not just greed. It's not just, well, I wasn't raised with much as a kid. It's, will God take care of me if I put him first in my finances? Can I trust him? Can God be trusted? That's the money issue. Let's move on because Jesus moves on and we don't want to spend too much time here. All right, here we go. Verse 5. And when you pray, well, great. Now we went from giving to praying, something else we struggle with. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Do you notice a corollary? Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. So first, Jesus messes with our money. Now he goes into our time. I mean, who's got time to give God time? <laughs> and now that's exactly what Jesus is telling us we're supposed to do. But he says, but when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to the Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Again, Jesus connects doing something in secret with rewards from the Father. And he's not talking about on-the-go prayers, okay? Let's just be, let's just be completely honest. Jesus isn't talking about emergency prayers. Those are good. Those are helpful. Those are meaningful. He hears those, and he loves to hear you cry out to him in an emergency. But what Jesus is saying is, I want you to take a, a, a slice of the thing which is actually most valuable to you that you can never get back, your time. I want you to take a slice of that and I want you to devote it to me. I want you to give something that you have no ability to earn any more of. I want you to give it to me. But God, I'm so busy. God, don't you understand how busy I am? God's like, no, I don't have a clue how busy you are. I'm just overseeing the entire universe. Other universes too. I got it all in the palm of my hand. No, tell me about how busy you are. God, I didn't know. Uh, go into your room and pray. Carve out a slice of your day. Now, I don't fully un understand exactly what Jesus is saying here when he says that your Father will see you praying and will reward you. But I know there's something honoring to God when we say, God, I've, God, if I were to have an emergency today, I would stop everything that I was doing and I would call out to you and you would hear me. So God, I'm going to pause right now as I start my day. There isn't an emergency. The world isn't coming to an end. Everything's going pretty good in my life, and I just want to let you know that I know that I'm dependent upon you for every breath that I take. Jesus says that when the Father sees that, the Father rewards that. But I'm not doing it for reward. Good. You shouldn't but he's probably going to reward you anyway. He's going to grow your faith. He's going to honor you. Jesus says that he sees that and rewards that. I want to invite the band to come up as we kind of get ready to wrap up. There are some things, you know, in our series that 
you don't really have any control over. You know, the first week, expose, you, you can kind of sit and listen to practical teaching, but you don't really get to control how the teaching comes across, you know? Like, you don't get to control that. You, providential relationships, you, know, you can be open to those, but, but you can't make them happen. It's like you can't make somebody be a God, you know, uh, influence in your life. But, but this, this, private disciplines, things that you're supposed to do that maybe you don't want to, but, but this is something that you can actively engage God with. You can, you can come into His presence and He says He will build your faith. You might not be thrilled to wake up in the morning 15 minutes early so you can spend 10 minutes with God. You might be like, I don't really want to do that. I don't really feel like that's something that I want to do, but it's still beneficial. He still sees you doing it. Well, what do I pray? Like, like, what do I, what do I even say? God, here I am. I don't really know what to say right now, but I'm just here because this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to give you a slice of my time today. Go. Do I get down on my knees? I don't know. Go for it. Like, go. Sure. Yeah. Get on your knees. Get on your knees. Sit on your bottom. Lay down. I don't know how you pray, but he says when you carve out a slice of your time and a percentage of your money, God rewards you. And you know what that says? God, here's the first few minutes of my day. And God, here's the first few dollars of my paycheck. You know what that communicates to God? God, I trust you. I trust you with all my time. I trust you with all of my money. God, you control it all. God uses that to build our faith. Now, Jesus goes on in the next passage in this teaching to talk about fasting, our food. <laughs> and we're not going to talk about that because that's why, like, like you might be thinking, gosh, you know, I give sometimes and I pray occasionally, but I never fast. You know, it's so convicting. But again, he says the same thing. If you fast so that other people see you, there's your reward. But if you'll fast in secret so that the Father sees you, he'll see you and he'll reward you. I want to challenge you. I want want to give you a challenge for a month, 30 days. You should do two things. Give God the first few minutes of your day might have to wake up a few minutes early to do it. Give him the first few minutes of your day and the first few dollars of your paycheck. Private discipline. God will see and God will reward. God, can I do Monday through Friday? Do Monday through Friday. Take the weekends off. Fine. You know, take a break. You don't want to get too crazy. God, Monday through Friday, I'm going to wake up 10 minutes early so that I can spend those 10 minutes pray, letting you know that I know that I'm dependent upon you. And God, for for 30 days, I'm going to give the first few dollars of my paycheck. Well, how much do I have to give, Pastor Josh? Tell me a percentage. I don't know. Pick a number. 3, 5, 10, 15, 20, 20. We can go by five. I don't know. Whatever God tells you, okay? Whatever God tells you. And if you're, you're like, well, what, do I have to give it to the church? No. Listen, most preachers would preach a sermon on giving and then take up the offering. 
so that you get guilt given or get guilt ridden so you give more on a Sunday. We've already taken up the offering. It's already done. We're not passing around the baskets again. Give whatever God tells you to give. If you don't want to give it to the church, don't give it to the church. If you don't trust us with your money, then don't give it here. Give it to a give it to a church planner. Give it to a missions organization. Give it to somebody who's feeding the poor. God, this is my first few minutes of my day. Here's the first few dollars of my paycheck. I trust you. And listen, when you do that, you will feel tension. You will ask yourself, I don't know if this is really working. I don't know if God's really seeing this. Do I, I, don't, I don't think I really have the extra time. I don't really have the extra money. When you feel that tension, life that is creating this tension. Odds are it's a trust issue. It's a faith issue. Now, for the last several weeks, I have been, the only way I can describe this, and if this isn't your home church, then, then I'm going to ask you just to entertain us for the next few minutes. I've just been burdened for our church. Well, you're one of the pastors. Aren't you supposed to be burdened all the time? Yes. <laughs> but it's just been this like extra wait. And, and, and my personality doesn't go here automatically. I grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal church, but for whatever reason, like that's just not my uh, my my natural kind of kind of bent. But for the last several weeks, even the last several months, there's just been a couple of words that have just been repeated as I carve out some time. God, here I am. What are you going to say to me? been a couple words that have just been repeated time and time again. And one of those words has been revival. Now maybe you didn't grow up in a church culture and you're not really familiar with what that word means. Maybe you did grow up in a church culture and you think you know what I mean when I say that word. Both wrong. (laughs) I mean a genuine move of God himself that mimics what we read in the book of Acts. When, when Peter stands up and preaches and multitudes just fall on their face and give their love. What do we got to do, Peter, to accept Jesus? And my heart has just been burdened because I feel like our church has been for so long running parallel to some, to some line of demarcation between, between normal existence and supernatural existence of, of living and walking in a move of God. And I've just felt that, like I said, for the last couple of months that we've just been like right there, but for whatever reason, we have not crossed over. And this week, God said, you know, there are a lot of people that feel like that in their own life, Josh. A lot of people that sit in vertical church every week that they feel like they're just running parallel to the purposes of God in their life and they can't cross over. Like they see it, they know what they want, but they just, they, they know where I want to take them, but they, they're, they're, they're running up against something that's, that's, that's blocking them from going to the other side. God, what do you want us to do? And he said, I want you to carve out a little bit of time for me. So that's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to wrap up our experience today. 
I'm encouraging you for the next 30 days. Carve out time for God. Give Him the first few minutes of your day and the first few dollars of your month. But today, I want to give Him some time. Because I think there are people in this room that you need revival in your own life. That the weight of the world or, or, or the circumstances that you've been walking through or the, or the dreams that you have in your heart that have not yet come into being have been there for so long that your heart is growing sick. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Today, I want, I, I want you to experience revival. I want the Spirit of God to revive your life. And so here's what I want you to do. All over the auditorium, I just want you to stand up. C.S. Lewis has this quote, and I can't remember it off the top of my head, so I've got to look it up so I don't get it wrong. C.S. Lewis says, It is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates His presence to men. So I want us to close out our worship experience by doing just that. By worshiping God. And it's in that process of worship that God wants to communicate His presence to you this morning. He wants to communicate that you can trust Him. That He sees you. That He knows you. That He has not left you. He has not, he has not forsaken you. He has not turned His back on you. But He sees you right here and right now. And He wants to life back into your body, life back into your spirit, life back into your heart, hope back into your future. So I want to encourage you to do one thing. I want to encourage you to sing and worship. I want to encourage you to lift your hands and just universally say, God, I trust you and I'm, I'm turning this song into my prayer. Lord, revive me. Fill me fresh. Fill me new with your presence, God. Remind me of the trust that I have in you is confidently assured. Number two, you may say, I would like to have special prayer. I would like somebody to just join with me, lay hands on me, and pray with me. If that's you, I'm going to be standing right over there. Pastor Brian's going to be standing right over there. You're like, man, I want, I want to be prayed for. We're both going to pray for will be available to you. So during this song, worship, lift your hands, sing, cry out to God, pray, recognize that it's in your worship that His presence is communicated to you. And if you need prayer, you need somebody to pray with you, would you please come forward and find one of us and just say, man, can you pray with me? I need God to move in my life. I'm right on the edge. I want to break through. And if none of that applies to you, for the love of God, would you pray that for our church? I'm so tired of bumping up against whatever it is that we're bumping up against. I'm ready to blast through the things. So if none of that applies to you, would you please, please pray for us? Because I want to walk in a move of God that blows my mind. I want to see multitudes of people give their life to Jesus. And that's a spiritual thing. There's not a technique or a word we can say or fancy lights that makes that happen. That is the presence of God Himself convicting and drawing people to His Son, Jesus. That's what we want to have happen. As they sing, worship, pray, come forward for prayer, pray for our church.
Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.